the Lord be with you. This one time when I was out and about on one of my many explorations, I forget who I was with. It was, let's say Troy. Troy, you can tell me later. I came across a really unusual vehicle. It was a regular car parked on the side of the road by the curb. If I remember, it was a white four-door sedan. And all and through the passenger windows, I bore witness to a truly astounding collection. It was the accumulation of the packaging and the wrappings from a hundred expeditions to the drive-through of fast food food restaurants and coffee shops all over the city. There were Tim Hortons cups with their rims rolled up, and there were Big Mac boxes all marked up with grease. I got to see plastic subway wrappers and crumpled paper Burger King bags. There were no Arby's wrappers, which, of course, there's no Arby's. Who buys? Does anybody eat Arby's? I don't know how that place stays in business. Anyways, the front passenger seat was brimming absolutely to the dashboard. And the back seats were so full, so jam-packed, that the driver's view of the rear window was starting to be in jeopardy. I stood there and marveled for a while. I took a few moments to consider this strange sight, more than a little bit curious, actually, trying to imagine how a collection like this gets formed. How long did it take? Was this thing that happened that just became a a running joke? Was this the evidence of a serious junk food habit and a casual attitude towards vehicular cleanliness? Maybe. But I don't say any of this with judgment. We don't need any more voices added to the scoffers who point out the messy parts of our lives. The truth is, church folk especially, a lot of us are really good at hiding all the accumulated byproducts that pile up in our life. Or at the very least, we've learned to ignore the mess. And just live with that. When the Son of Man was preparing for the work of prophecy and purpose, which would change everything, in the space of time between the baptism of John and the first announcement of the coming of God's kingdom, Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. Now that very same Spirit who descended on Jesus like a dove A soft, white bird, innocent, domesticated, calming. The very image of peace and gentleness. That same spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Let's not forget, that's the same spirit that hovered over the waters of chaos and named the world into existence. This is the spirit, not as a dove, but unleashed as a primal force of creation, irrepressible and powerful. And here with Jesus of Nazareth calling into existence a new thing, untiring, untamable spirit, the breath of the wild spirit, blowing Jesus across the landscape, 
gripping and compelling him. A deep feeling in his gut that won't be ignored, propelling the incarnate one away from civilization and into the wild places. Think about it. Jesus' spiritual preparation was a physical practice, a time-tested tradition of his people for prophets and sages and holy seekers for generations. Forty days is a long stretch of time in a remote place with the wild beasts and the angels. Jesus with his skin baked under the hot sun. That same wind stirring up dust that gets in his eyes. Scorching desert sand under his feet. And the chill of the night air. And a billion billion stars and galaxies in the sky overhead. Jesus walked in the desolate space of creation with a parched throat and sore muscles and a rumbling stomach, along with all the other creatures who fly and creep and walk the earth. And somehow, also, he was contending with the accuser but we'll save that part for another sermon. How many times have you heard someone say to you that they feel closest to God in the big open spaces of nature? I've heard friends as they stand on a mountainside or a trail or a clifftop overlooking the sea say, this is, this is church for me. And I don't think it's just because the wilderness is a place where we're finally away from all the people, though that is definitely part of it. Wild spaces have a way of clarifying and focusing our view of things, waking up our sleepy senses and stirring in us something we can't name, but we've surely forgotten. Something made of air and water and rock, soil. In those places we find the gift of perspective. Once again reminded that as geological time flows by, we inhabit but a moment. Ocean waves batter rocks scraped smooth by glaciers. 500-year-old cedars creak overhead and the forest keeps so many of her secrets. We catch the scent of a woodland floor with worms who make way for ferns and saplings. We happen upon a lone raven's wing and a pile of bloody feathers, even as songbirds sing in the branches overhead. Nearby, a great midden pile of pine cones, the product of a squirrel's many labors. This is the very real threat of a grizzly bear and her cubs who are out for a walk, hopefully just to harvest wild blueberries. Hopefully we don't run into them. With enough time in a wild space, we realize that we are visitors in this place, even though we are a part of it. Exposed to the elements and free from so many of the trappings the domesticating efforts of 
home. In those wild places, we receive a pure gift. That gift is that we are reminded of our shortcomings, our capacity for awe and wonder in a massive universe. We remember that we are a creature in a sprawling and complicated and beautiful ecosystem. Creatures, we are born and we are God's creatures. We are mortals who will die someday and join all those other creatures in the soil. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And if we let it, in that wilderness, and with a little courage, we can give ourselves to that wild spirit. Let that spirit make a holy project of our days. A fresh thing, calling and compelling and changing something in us orienting and focusing, forming us for a holy purpose. When you think about it, maybe, maybe, this isn't a time of testing after all, at least not in the way we thought it would be. We've been tested for sure, but that was only the beginning. This is a renewal. This is rejuvenating and repurposing all in preparation for the real time of testing called the entire rest of our lives. And while we talk about it, let's be clear. Many of us walk a hard path, tested by cruel patterns of this world. So often we are surprised by the unfairness of life, tormented by adversity, tempted by the comforts and pleasures of this world, beset on all sides by a chorus of lies and deceptions. We are heartbroken people, disappointed by this endless global pandemic. As one of my favorite pop theologians, Demi Lovato, reminds us, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. This is the human experience. Friends, the thing is, though, the aim is to come out on the other side with our souls intact, scarred and bruised, surely, but hopefully also honest, faithful, robustly human. We long for good outcomes. We hope for our friendships and relationships to be places of shelter and support and love. We want our work to be productive, maybe even meaningful, hopefully gainful. We want our place in this world to matter. We want to know that if we were gone, we would be missed. But we are creatures of habit and vanity. So quickly, we lose our way. Day after day, accumulating additions to our collection of so many kinds of junk that clutter our lives, weighing us down, cramping our movement, threatening to obscure our view of the world. 
These forces mute the deep lessons of the Spirit. How quickly we need to be reassured and encouraged. How often do our stubborn souls need to relearn the same old lessons? For a little perspective, if the Son of God, the Son of Man, required time of preparation in the wilderness, even ministered to and cared for by angels, no less, then surely our weary hearts need such care and attention. We need to practice grace and patience, and we need to receive much mercy. Surely Christ knew this well. Here in Mark's Gospel, the very next verse after the testing in the desert is the reminder that John the Baptist was arrested, thrown into a dungeon, and murdered by the authorities. Like I said, many of us walk a path of much grief. It's okay not to be okay. We need the voices of companions on this way. We need to learn to respond to the Spirit's persistent push and to be extra sensitive for the Spirit's gentle nudges. We need to listen to the wise words of the kingdom prophets among us who tell us the truth and also who tell us who they really are. I can think of a lot of examples, but here's one. In our relationship to planet Earth, if that's any indicator, the human race has indeed lost its way. Desperately so. We conquer and we consume every wild place, burning rainforests, exploiting each scrap of arable land, blasting apart mountains full of minerals, fishing vast oceans teeming with life. It's as though we can't wait to empty the world of all of its value. In our selfish pursuits, human beings, we are vampires. Among the many troubles that we face, our environmental disasters are a spiritual crisis for the human race. Closer to home, we carry with us the lessons of the wilderness, and hopefully we can carry them into our urban spaces, into our homes and workplaces. Can we live the lessons of life and death and mystery in the routines of our day? Can we let those wild lessons inform our choices and our habits? Is there a way to rediscover ways of being a neighbor? a friend, a citizen. Because as much as you like those wide and open and wild outdoor spaces, the church happens where the people are. And the reign of God looks like a different kind of living. Maybe over the years you've associated those 40 days of Lent with a tiresome time of Deprivation and minor annoyance. I mean, does the lack of potato chips or chocolate in my life for 40 days 
really accomplish anything? Please. I know I feel like this pretty regularly around this time of year. I don't like giving up my creature comforts. It doesn't feel like a lesson. It feels like an annoyance, and my stubborn heart resists. But what if we practice seeing those 40 days as a time to throw off and cut ourselves loose from so much of the junk and distraction which so easily entangles and traps us? Careless habits that form us and the stupid, stupid games that we try we try and win. What if that 40 days could be a time of freshness, newness, and clarity? An, exped- an expedition into the wilderness to practice being the free creatures we were made to be. What if 40 la- days laid bare and exposed to the Spirit's wild creative energy is the vehicle which carries us to a new way of living? spent in the care of this world and its creatures? What if the simple tending to our stubborn souls and the gentle care of the Spirit could change everything? What if?